you're looking for your uh, credit cards, uh, <laughs> Howard's been spending them over there. So to see Howard afterwards, just a joke. I can say that Howard was Susie's youth leader from years ago, oh, so we're very close. Very close. Uh, we're in we're in the city of Bath, just for just for accuracy. There, thanks, though, Pete. City of Bath, and delighted. Been in the States 15 years, so it's a really big transition for us as a family coming back to the land of our origin. Susie grew up in Bath. Her mum and dad planted there 45 years ago, and wow. uh, overseas in Afghanistan right now, serving the Lord. So, just delighted and uh, somewhat uh, violently pulled along in the sovereign goodness and grace of God in it all. So relearning the culture I'm from, I'm sort of, sort of feel a third culture kid kind of thing going on. So pray for us as an appeal to prayer. Uh, I want to turn your attention to Song of Solomon chapter 4, not just because uh, Valentine's was the other day, um, because we're talking about missional churches, and in order to have missional churches, we must have resilient disciples. And so what I want to pull out is, is over the next 20 minutes, just a couple of uh, verses here in Song of Solomon to, to show and demonstrate, hopefully, by God's grace, how the gospel forms resilient disciples. In here, there's also a warning I really want you to catch. And I want to give some thinking time right in the middle to how the gospel also helps us warn our disciples of the dangers of the age. So the gospel forms resilient disciples, healthy disciples, and in it gives a warning for some of the dangers of our age. So let's, let's just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for times like this when we just experience these, these means of your grace, your word that is not like any other it's not like other literature, it's everything, it's our food, it's our, it's our life, it's our eternity in your presence. Just please speak to our hearts, speak to our, our situation, uh, revive us, for some of us, heal us, restore us, and uh, be everything that we need because it's who you are, our life, our food, our eternity, our groom, as we'll see here, in your great name, amen. Amen. So, making resilient disciples. Look at these verses with me in Song of Solomon chapter 4, verse 7. You are altogether beautiful, my love. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. This is the groom speaking to his lovely, if you like, his, his beloved. The, these, are, these, these are not just instructions for, for Valentine's Day and something to write for, for, your, for your wife in a card. This, this is the nature and the character of Christ, the one on every page, Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. This is what we have, actually the only thing we have when we make disciples. This is your ministry to see a, a relationship uh, flourish between your people and this groom. And so just, I, I'm definitely not going to go any further, and I might not say anything else at all until I just see a twinkle in your eye for a minute. Because if you'll just wait, you'll start to, to see him. Do you see him? And do you hear him call to you? Come with me. Come. 
You're beautiful, my love. There's no flaw in you. Just look a little bit further on in verse 9. You have captivated my heart. My sister, my bride, you've captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. And so what, what you've got in here is this, this call of the Savior, the groom, to his beloved. And as he speaks to her, as he calls the head of the church to the church, the groom to the bride, as he says it, as he states these words of truth, he says, there's no flaw. You're altogether beautiful. And what I find is, in, in, in just my, my short, short ministry, I've been saved 20 years, 15 of those ministering in the States, and some of you literally decades further, what I've begun to find in these years is, is that there's this, in, in, in almost any circumstance of ministry, there's this kind of call of the Savior you're beautiful. You're mine. And, and then there's this attacking voice of Satan that says, you can't go. Christ says, come. Altogether beautiful, Satan. And all of the forces of darkness and all of wickedness and everything else that would wage war against our disciples and the people of God come and say, you can't go. And that attacking voice comes in and says, there is condemnation. And sin shall have dominion over you. And it's, 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 you could take parenting, you could take marriage, and you could take drug addiction, you could take any kind of addiction, you could take sugar addiction, you could take TV addiction. Drug addiction is just more demonstrative and open and, and kind of more public. But all of us are attacked by those things. So you, you can't go. And the Savior stands and says, says you're flawless. It's, it's the only thing you and I have in our ministry, ultimately, I know it's a big grand phrase, to give to our people and help our people with, it, 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 far above and beyond an academic attainment, or, or, or as, as, as important as that is, and far, far greater than a, a sort of cognitive development of Christianity and truth and scripture, as important as those things are, and I'm not throwing those out for a second, but greater than those things, we have a betrothal. There's, there's, a, there's a wedding getting ready. It's the greatest thing ever, the most important thing anybody will answer in your entire life. And anybody in the room, the most important question is, am I his and is he mine? And it's the only thing we do. It's the only thing we do. In order to have resilient disciples on mission, to plant churches, to follow through on some of these expectations, have you... Have you I mean, let's, can we do that in another session? Paul's in Thessalonica, three Sabbaths. Lydia says, hey, this is exciting news. Let's have lunch at my house and a church planting movement's born, birthed. Phoebe gets excited about church planting. Things, things are happening. I mean, he's with the Ephesian elders only three years. I mean, the, the expectations here that are set by God for the gospel going to the nations and rapid multiplication and immense things to happen in England as well, dare I say. Yeah are huge, and he has set them for you and I. The dignity of seeing resilient, vigorous disciples is yours and it's mine. And it's only through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So are you making disciples far beyond academic attainment, far beyond their cognitive development, beyond religious practice and exercise? And I believe in that. 
believe in religious discipline, religious exercises, or if you like, our, our practices of prayer. Believe in these things. Believe in study. But what will really, really shake the nations and has only ever shaken the nations from the beginning has been a people coming to know the love of their soul. Now, I told you there'd be a warning. It's really hard to pull away from the gospel piece, isn't it, and get to the warning, because I just want to go to Romans 3.23 and all these all our favorite passages, but I will. There's a warning. I skipped over this verse right here in these, these words from Song of Solomon. Right here in verse 8, as he's saying, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. The scripture says, depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sunir and Hermon, from the dens of lions and from the mountains of leopards. And here's why I just want to invite you to do a little bit of thinking. I don't have time to, to get into these passages, but I will say, isn't it amazing how God gives us these ancient parables that are entirely fresh and appropriate for our day. Because if, if, the, if the groom is saying, depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sunni and Hermon, from dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards, from high and dangerous places, if you like, then in our day, we've got to have the, admon, the, the kind of admonition and warning for our people of dangerous places in our culture. What I want to simply ask you to do is take some time and make sure you know what those are. I'll give you just a couple. It's so kind of broad, they encompass a lot of things. But just do a little bit of thinking, just for a minute. I was in the States, and I thought, as we, as we were preparing to come back to the UK, I'm leaving this culture of consumerism. Donnie, I'm sorry. <laughs> Americans, they'll buy up stuff and they trash it the next day. This is okay, right? Okay, we agree. These, these idols of consumerism and just self-centeredness and it is, is so rampant. And I was just talking to the Lord, thinking, Lord, this is going to be good. I'm going back to the land of normality, I think. The land of moral commitment, might one suppose. And, and the, you know, the land of dedication to, to friendships. And, and, and the land where, where one spends one's life for the good of the community, surely. So uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't find that, guys. I did arrive back in England. We are in, is, yeah. And what I found is, is me-ism. And I know different books call it different names. I like the simple names. <laughs> but we're witnessing the outbreak of the religion of me. And it's obviously a repackaging of what's you know, already been around the block 1,500 times. But it's, it's this, this meism, and along with it, a fear of commitment. And along with that, and I'm sure you can see this in people as well, this, this constant pursuit or, or desire to discover a shiny vision of the future for self. Now, Jesus has always looked after my family. And I've got story after story after story for my kids especially, how he makes himself known with such beauty and such provision. But I have found him to, to not promise me a shiny future just for myself. 
I actually find him not to be very safe sometimes. This whole move from America back to England, this was, I mean, just the emotions and the transition and, and Lord, could we have taken maybe four or five years of planning because I'd like to be under the illusion of control at times. It just makes me feel good. And the Lord doesn't do that, does he? He'll satisfy you unto all of eternity. And sometimes he's a little unsafe. And I find that some of us in the room may have the calling of John the Baptist. And frankly, your reward may be that your head will come clean off your shoulders. I know that sounds a little crass. It's just in the Bible. You know your great-grandparents were hung upside down on crosses. And God was sovereign on that hour, in that hour. He writes the story. And I do believe God is kind, gracious. He's the most generous of generous. But in our society of kind of self-centeredness, individualism, this fear of commitment, so much, so much of Christianity is pursuing this shiny future. And I've bumped into a lot of couples who have come from schools, schools of ministry and discipleship schools. I'm not here to name names, and there is a variety. And they don't really have any interest in work and holding down a budget. And anything that's mundane is to be avoided as though it's not Christian. And I find a lot of Christianity is plain mon just the mundane, the normal, the bit by bit, the day by day. And for me, much of it is controlling my, my emotions or my, the lusts of my flesh or my anger. We're all family, aren't we? This is okay. I'll just be myself. We'll find out if I get the opportunity to ever speak again. But this is just my Christianity here. And then occasionally, great times of giddiness. Like early on today, when we're singing, we're praising, we're thinking of Jesus and what he's done for us. And this righteousness he's given us, is just a, it's like a party, it's a celebration. But come Monday morning, it's, it's, it's back to normality again. These things make me nervous about our culture. The gospel will call your disciples away from those dangerous places. And as you proclaim the gospel of God's grace and mercy and kindness in Jesus, it will require everything of your disciples. Their whole lives, their whole vocation, their whole career, their whole intellect, their whole heart, their whole soul, both hands to work if they have feet, everything, and it will say, you can't do that anymore. And that's important. It's right here in the narrative, right here pastorally, I'll just, and as I said, please just take, take your own time. I mean, disagree with me. Take your own time to think about the dangers of our culture, the high places. But let me just touch on a, a one thing pastorally. Or maybe, maybe two, we'll see. <laughs> but for you, with your ministry, I, I don't care how many people are under the sound of your voice on Sundays or Wednesdays, whatever. But have you heard the Savior say to you regularly, hey, come with me. And in your ministries, in your preaching, in your counseling, are you going with God? You can have people with you, and you can have your discipleship groups, and you can have Bible studies, and you can have all of these important things, and you can still be not going with the Savior, walking with Him. You know, there's this sort of that time in your walk with Jesus, and sometimes it's sort of day one, sometimes it's near the end, sometimes in the middle, and you sort of have sometimes these big aha moments where you where you say, Lord, it was a bit like my ears had heard of you, but now I see you. I hear you. I understand more of you, and it actually makes me feel like I really don't know anything, but I'm, I'm afraid of you, and I love you, and I only want to do what you tell me to do, and you start to say no to speaking appointments. 
And, and when friends ask you how many at, at your church, you're kind of like, ah, because it's not important anymore. But what the Savior's interests are becomes so precious and delightful. You know, in Acts 16, where Paul's raring to go, books in hand, money, and he's going into Asia. And what does the Holy Spirit say? Luke records it for us. The Holy Spirit says, I'm going to forbid you from preaching. It seems like the most, the, some of the worst theology the Holy Spirit has ever said and Luke has ever recorded. But it's right. I, I thought Jesus had said, go and make disciples. Go and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you along with. And yet the Holy Spirit says, nope, don't preach here. And then he tries to go into Bithynia. You remember in Acts 16? And the Holy Spirit stops. Like, this, Jesus has a plan and a grace. And he's walking. And you can do church. And you can do pastoral ministry without abiding in him for one minute. And your eternal destiny will be secure. But you would have been busy, busy, busy with who knows what you're being busy with. Come, come with me. Pastorally, are you going with God? Are you departing, forsaking your own idols? You're still a human. You still have parts of your heart you want to look good publicly. You still want to tell your fellow pastors, this many people came along, that many got saved, and I personally baptized this many. Because you're a human being, and there's broken pieces about you. So are you taking those idols and forsaking them? Are you calling them? There's my leopards. I know them. Got really quiet, so we'll just kind of move on here. <laughs> but these admonitions of Scripture are precious. They're precious. So as we proclaim the gospel of God's grace and goodness, and as we see people birthed into the kingdom, the delightful parts, we're seeing a betrothal. Keep the main thing the main thing. Are you seeing people perhaps saying, I've got to leave your church because I'm going to plant more churches? And you say, yes. Yeah. It's a gospel goodbye. It's what I pray for and live for. Of course you are. Maybe you have a friend that maybe is wrapped up in other things that needs the words of Scripture. This is what we live for. You are not building people into you, even though we encourage commitment and submission to authority. You are building people into Him. And they are to fall in love with a Another man, not me, and not you. Yeah. Let's just do Romans 3.23. It's just so good. For by grace, uh, that's Ephesians. Uh, all have sinned. <laughs> all is good to come to that realization quick behind pulpit. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You'll preach it. And freely justified as a gift, as a gift, as a gift, as a gift, as a gift. John Stott, whoever else, Spurgeon. As a gift of his grace. And it's through Christ. Not your effective systems alone and strategies. And what does Paul say? It's him, the propitiation for our sins. Whom God placarded, put forward. This is what we do. I give you Christ. You give Christ. Yours is a ministry of reconciliation. It's the only hope for resilient disciples. And in it is a warning of the dangers of our age. Know the dangers. 
know your dangers. Know the idols of your own heart. Know the things you're people are going to be pulled away from them wrestle with or the, or, the, or the way people are going to be pulled away from the gospel understand the times and I'll finish in the last couple of minutes with this the gospel is the, is the remedy but there is a journey for our people as the narrative goes on I'm going to give you just a couple of these final passages so Perhaps the Lord will remind you of specific people you're ministering to, where they are in their journey. In the narrative here, Song of Solomon 5, verse 1, the groom comes again as he graciously does. I love those verses that just show Jesus in his mercy come back again and again. Jonah, the word of the Lord Came a second time. Oh, gracious, merciful Savior. So he comes, open to me, my sister, my love, verse 2. My dove, my perfect one. Viewing her not responsible for her sin. But having been, become himself responsible for her sin. Viewing her as the flawless one, his beloved. He comes. And what's her response? Ouch. I'd put off my garment, verse 3. How could I put it on again? What? Yeah, I'd, you know, I'd bathed my feet. Uh, how, how could I soil them again? It just sounds unbelievable when, when we read it in a nice sort of cozy context like this. But it's for every single one of us, this, this, this malady, and for every one of our disciples to understand this part of the narrative when the heart just gets quick. <laughs> stupid quickly and gets cold it's unthinkable that the groom would come and said my sister my bride my flawless one and demonstrate that he has given her his own righteousness it's unthinkable and yet it's a reality and she, her response is basically I'm not going to get my slippers dirty and come to the door for the rose of Sharon, the lily of the fields, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the savior, the redeemer, the God-man. You know what I mean? I bathed. Duh. You want me to get my feet dirty? It's just how illogical the sinful nature is. And as you read on, verse 7, the watchmen found me as they went about the city. They beat me. They bruised me. So unbecoming. This is so weird. How can she be beaten, this bride of the city? The only logical explanation is she's without her groom. And you can't have your people dedicated to coming on Sundays and dedicated to your preaching, dedicated to your Bible study, but not be dedicated to the groom. Otherwise, six days a week, they'll walk around without the groom and they'll get a beating. They'll be at your Bible study and they'll say, hey, that was, uh, that was great content. And you'll feel good. feel like the man. Yeah. You know, come on, come on. America's a little more responsive, I find, than in England. It's because the conviction is so heavy at the, the time. But maybe they should only be at your Bible study for just six weeks, ten weeks, twenty weeks. Because maybe God will bring you into their life to the place where they betrothed, go on mission, and go way ahead of you. And may it be. May it be. 
But finally, I did say I'd finish with the gospel's the remedy. So I'll just conclude. We declare the rigorous saving love of Christ. Perhaps you saw a Star Trek a little while ago, and Kirk is, finds out that the only way to save the ship going down is to break into the nuclear core thing, right? And it got broke, and it's off its axis. And as he's about to rush in, one of the guys there, Scotty, of course, says, you can't, I won't do an accent. He says, you can't run in there. There's radiation everywhere. It'll cost you your life. His response, so fixated on his mission, he punches Scotty in the mouth. You know, Hollywood style, he's out cold. I know how to do that. It's fine. And he gets in there, and at the cost of his own life, he kicks the reactor back. It's hard, and you're just watching this. And, I'm, you know, I've got boys, and we're sat, and we're just kind of, just don't, I don't know what to do with ourselves. I almost want to, I want to tear the leather off my couch, and, you know, like my six-year-old is kind of, ah, like this, and, and it's, it's just a picture of the Savior. I know it's Star Trek. I know it's just the movies. Tell me you saw Star Trek. Am I just... I've got to check my illustrations with you beforehand. Can you all go and see some more films, please? It's okay. They're classified. The ones you don't see are the ones you don't see. I'm almost over time. It's your own fault for not for making me explain that illustration further, but you get it. There's nothing more moving than the man sent from God willing to set his face like flint and go up the hill and be nailed to the tree for the sake of his bride. Nothing. Resilient disciples. There's nothing more effective than the words of Scripture, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, to warn. So we have things we notice in our disciples and our people we want to say. And it's difficult to kind of get in there. Bro, I'm noticing you're sleeping till 2 p.m. I yeah, you know, who are you to tell me what time? I, you know, okay, sorry, 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 sorry. It's not easy all the time. And you want to you help your people. But it's all in here. It's all right here. The warnings of Scripture. Look at the bride. Look at the despondency. Look at the gracious mercies of God. And we lead our people in an appropriate response. And I've got to give you this verse, even though I'm over time and I'll stop. Verse 10. My beloved is radiant and ruddy. Now, I asked you early on if you were watching the face of the Lord. And if you weren't, you've got to be right now. He's distinguished among 10,000. This is what you want of your people. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water bathed in milk sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory. She's enthralled. She's obsessed. She's, she's just besought with the, with, with the groom. He's, he's, he's her everything here. His legs are like alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. He's altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend. Will you just, just stop for a moment, just close your eyes, and just not lose the moment, and just think on the Lord Just for your, perhaps for yourself first, I'd encourage you before, before the people in your ministry, 
And have you been hearing that voice of condemnation? When the Lord has been saying, come, have you been listening to, you can't go, because it's absolute, vulgar, vile, evil nonsense. But you must come to the presence of the lover of your soul. Just sat at your kitchen table, in your living room, even when the kids are being noisy. You are his, and he is yours. And just for a moment, perhaps take time, take, take time later, note it in your journal, consider, are you going with him in, in your life, in your marriage, in your ministry, and are you departing from dangerous places? Because the job is not yet done. If we're not departing, if we're not leading our disciples away from the radical selfishness of our day, the radical self-centeredness and the pursuit of me and myself, then all of the culture around us, it will disciple them in that. And just look at his face again. And do you see the delight he has for you? As he says, flawless one. Perfect one. My beautiful one. My sister. My bride.